This is Pathways to Resilience, the podcast where real people share real stories helping us build our playbook toward resilience. And now here's the host of the show, Melissa Santos. Welcome back to Pathways to Resilience. Um, I am really excited about today's conversation. Um, In our last episode, uh, Lisa Davis and I talked about her legacy of knowing and that how so much of her leadership style came from her own knowing and how um, conscious leadership um, and specifically the work out of the conscious leadership group really enhanced her ability to be a conscious leader and also the legacy she feels she's able to leave for those that she has been leading. Um, So I think this is just a really cool segue to today's guest who is Diana Chapman, who's the co-founder and CEO coach at the Conscious Leadership Group and co-author of the 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership. Welcome, Diana. I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the work of the Conscious Leadership Group. Sure. So my passion is helping individuals and teams significantly eliminate drama in their lives. And I have been on a journey for the last 25 years, learning all about how to do that. And I work now uh, pretty exclusively with CEOs, their executive teams, and then the broader cultures to help them understand what it looks like to be able to create the environments in which drama can be significantly reduced. Tell us a bit about um, drama. What do you mean when you talk about drama? Because it, it's it's a pretty provocative way to look at things initially. I know that was for me, and yet it makes so much sense because there's so much drama in our lives and in our workplaces. Yeah, I'm going to call drama. Drama is when we start to contract, get reactive, often suffer, even though many people wouldn't call it suffering, um, where we feel disconnected from others. We have that nah, nah, nah mindset Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, where we are defending ourselves in a way that keeps us from really growing and learning and connecting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's a powerful thing to notice. It can be a difficult thing to notice um, initially and to shift. And in order for people to not withhold, not defend, um, to be able to show up with that authenticity, you really teach about creating a container that allows leaders and their teams to bring their authentic selves to the workplace. How, how is that container built where we can even address and talk about the drama? Okay. So my experience is that all teams create drama because one of two things or both. One, they're not co-committed to the same things. So for example, if I'm committed to taking responsibility for my results and you're not, we're gonna have drama. If I'm committed to revealing versus concealing and you're not committed to revealing, we're gonna have drama. So first and foremost, we have to decide are we co-committed? Kind of like, um, I like to think of it like a sports game, you know, for playing basketball. Like, are we all committed to playing by 
the same set of rules mm-hmm. that we're all committed to using this basketball. We're committed to these things. And if we do, we have this harmonious experience. So, um, so commitment is part of that, uh, process. And I wrote, co-wrote a book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, in which we spell out 15 unique commitments that we see are important to establish if you want to create a container that supports less drama. And then the second part is really clear agreements. Who will do what by when? So if we, if we say, I'm committed to keeping my time agreements, Mm-hmm. I'm committed to, and you're committed to te- keeping your time agreements. Then that's a commitment between me and reality, me yep. and the universe. And then we're going to make really clear agreements um, are like, okay, we're going to meet at 9 a.m. at this location. So we have that all set up. So, or we're going to agree that when we do give each other feedback, um, you're going to want it in written form because that's how you like it. I'm going to want it verbally in the moment because that's how I like it. And so we've got very clear agreements because if those agreements are not clear or we never made one in the first place, that's how we're also going to have drama. So containers, you've got to build that container of co-commitments and clear agreements. And that significantly reduces the na-na-na that happens in the workplace. And I I love the basketball analogy because just to go back to that for a minute, because I think it makes it so real that, um, so if we don't agree where the foul line is or something, it's so funny how much I end up talking about sports and these things. And I'm not about the sports. I don't really understand them, but I know there's a foul line. And if we were not, if we didn't have an impeccable, clear agreement about where that line is, and you told me I fouled something that I didn't think I did we're going to have drama, right? Like I'm going to be pissed. Like, no, I didn't. Um, And sometimes we say that out loud and sometimes we withhold that. And that's when drama really gets good, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So when, when I think the other piece of it is not only clear agreements, but that feedback piece that you talked about, that candor that you teach as one of the commitments so that if I don't show up at nine o'clock, how do we, what do we do when we've made a clear agreement? When, if we're really being conscious together, you call right. on it, right? Right. Well, I might just say, Hey, um, the facts are you and I had an agreement, um, to show up together at 9am. Um, the facts are I had a zoom invite on my calendar for this. And, um, the facts are that at nine o'clock you weren't here, that you showed up at nine Oh five. And so and then those are the facts. That's what the camera records. And then I'd say, you know, my story is that you're not prioritizing these meetings or you don't value my time or now the stories are always arguable, but we have stories we make up about facts and we want to reveal those one. So you get to know me, you know, on planet Diana, I have the story. You don't value me. And then the other thing I can share is what I want. You know, what I want is I want, if you're not going to show up on time that you text to let me know when you plan to arrive or so I know what's going on. So I don't, my mind doesn't have to wander around wondering if you're okay or if you're going to show up. When you say it like that, and actually when it happens, it's so refreshing because we often, so that planet Diana that you just talked about where you're feeling, you're not feeling valued. What we often do again is we hold that, we withhold that, we create this whole inner story and, or we go bring it to other people. Diana's not showing up on time. I mean, I don't know. Diana doesn't value me. 
you know, I don't know, you guys seem to like, you know, and then it becomes this whole gossip thing, which then we're just bringing more people into what, when you all talk about what you teach drama, the drama triangle um, versus nipping it in the bud and just having that conversation with one, taking the hundred percent responsibility, another one of the commitments to tell you where I'm at and the story that I'm creating around it. Exactly. How have you seen that in your coaching and your work transform teams? Well, I'll give you an example. I had a CEO that I was coaching the other day and he needed to let go of 20% of his team. Mm. And he wanted to have, he was going to, he told me he was going to present it like, Hey, this is all going to be great. And, you know, and I said, well, what's really true. And he said, well, what's really true is I'm scared and I'm sad Mm -hmm. and I'm worried how this is all going to impact them. I said, well, why don't you just go say that? Yeah. So why don't you just be candid and say that? And he said, but what if that just bums everybody out? I said, well, could it be a yes and? You could say, I'm scared, I'm sad. I want to make space for all of your feelings that might be arising as 20% of our team is being let go of. And as that happens, I also want to express my optimism for the possibilities that could happen now with some more resources available and some, you know, whatever else he looks at, yep. that this is great. So a lot of people think that if they just can, you know, let's just not, let's not bum people out or let's not focus on the negative. But my experience is denying, um, especially emotions is a great way to have people lose presence. So that's a, it's an expression of candor as well, emotional intelligence and candor to, to uh, give space for that. Right. And as you explain that, it's like, cause 20% of those people, I mean, people are going to be bummed whether we go in and say <laughs> that we're sad about it, or we go in and gloss it over. Like that's, it's, it, that's difficult. That's a difficult thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what we want is we want people to be able to practice emotional intelligence. This is such a big thing in the workplace, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, I'm sad. Great. Where is that sensation related to your sadness located in the body? For most people, it's in their upper chest and narrowing in the throat and behind the eyes. And so can you be with those sensations? Can you open to them? Can you allow that pressure on your chest to be here as much as it is? Which most people, that's uncomfortable. There's some Mm -hmm. pain in there. Mm -hmm. So they tend to not want to be with it. And then you know, they're losing presence because they have to shove that down in some way and deny it, contract around it, which causes people to get tired. And one of the things that I see is that I think a lot of burnout in the workplace has so much to do with people withholding stories that they have and feelings that they have. Mm-hmm. So they're contracting, pushing them down, contracting, pushing them down, which starts to create a form of depression Mm -hmm. and people start to feel flat, tired, disengaged. So what I'm finding is giving people space to start revealing and opening all that up. Yesterday, I worked with a team in which, I don't know, a couple of different people cried. Somebody expressed their anger. I had them all go around and tell each other stories. They've been withholding from each other. And the results were they felt more connected and felt more energized, even though it was, they were afraid and they said, I'm scared. Um, but the results show the value of moving into that discomfort of the unknown because mm-hmm. you don't know what will happen and taking that risk 
um, for the sake of uh, conscious, being conscious, being here now, um, and not uh, not in some kind of a withdrawn pattern. Uh, the I wonder. I'm just kind of thinking as you're talking about this, we're experiencing some really profound shifts in industries, in all industries, the big quit, um, the people coming out of, are we coming out of the pandemic? Well, it's in, we're in a different place with it anyway. Um, people looking at work differently where they want to feel that they're in a place where they can be authentic and feel connected. And, and I think emotional intelligence, mindfulness, all that's becoming what people are looking for, or at least feeling good about their work. Maybe they can't define necessarily what that is. Um, and I just was, it just made me think about how much, um, how much of that is people again, consciously or unconsciously saying, I can't withhold anymore. Like I'm burnt out because I've been with, we're with, we're all, there's so much that we're all dealing with right now. Yeah. Um, you make a really good point here because it's not just the dynamics that are happening in work. It's also just what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. So I had a team the other day, who paused and said, we need to stop for a minute, stop all work and let's have a meeting for an hour. And let's talk about how are you being and doing with the state of the world? Mm -hmm. They talked about how the Ukrainian war was affecting them and about how um, COVID was affecting them and about gun violence and political um, choices, et cetera, and how they're doing with all of that. And I gave them an opportunity to feel and reveal and what they all reported was, wow, I just feel so much more uh, like there's there's some lightness here. Just giving ourselves space to be with all that so that they could come back to work and be far more engaged. I, I, and I see it happen in my work with my teams, our team practices conscious. We continue to strive to practice conscious leadership. And we, on a, one of the teams that I'm on recently, we're on a big project and it wasn't there was this really funky, there was a lot of withholding in a meeting and really funky energy. And so we actually, it was based on our last conversation and you sharing something. We just scheduled an hour and said, I, I read from the candor chapter out of the book just to help. It's a nice little crutch to say, here's what we're going to do. Uh, two of us started that had been leading this thing in a way that felt funky to people and felt non-inclusive and we were candid. And then the candor that came out and there were tears and there was heartbreak and there was, um, and doing it through with, we didn't res not responding, just allowing people to express and then just appreciating the expression and acknowledging the expression because it, we can, we can also allow people to reveal and then go right back into a drama triangle and start to defend. Well, I didn't mean to make you feel that way. Well, I didn't mean, I didn't. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, we completely squashed where we were headed and the project is re going to rebirth in a completely different way. Um, That's people great. are going to be engaged in it <laughs> right. rather than it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have worked. It, 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 we might've pushed it through, but there wouldn't have been sponsorship and buy-in or a feeling of inclusion. Um, so I, I, it was, um, it was powerful and it was, I, I want to talk a little bit about this what you and I had spoke about, um, that part of it is that we're not comfortable with the heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More about that. What I think is true for all of us is that we are always dreaming up the way we would like life to be. 
And then life is constantly showing up differently than we hoped. Mm -hmm. And so there are these many deaths all along the way. I thought, um, I thought you would show up at this meeting and bring more clarity. And I feel some heartbreak about how lost we all seem now in mm -hmm. this conversation. And this was a project that means a lot to me. And I'm, oh, I'm a little disappointed. And so my experience is, is that most of us don't specifically don't want to feel the depth of heartbreak. We don't want to feel it's, it's a pain in our, it's a pain here in the center of our chest and it's mm -hmm. ouchy. And so there's, you know, oh, I didn't get that promotion. I'm a little heartbroken that they got it and I didn't. Um, I'm heartbroken to hear that we've got to come back to work for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. I was really enjoying this, the way I, my life had been reorganized. Mm -hmm. I'm heartbroken about um, what's happening in the world. Uh, I'm heartbroken to hear that some of our colleagues are having to leave. Um, because we have to scale down. So whatever that is, can people feel that pain and it's uncomfortable? And one of the things that I'm really just standing for is inviting all of us to lean more into the discomfort of feeling our feelings in particular and heartbreak in particular. Because my experience is that if you don't grieve the loss of a vision you had, you can't really be fully present to what's actually here now. Right. So that if you're a team who really wants to stay on your game and especially who's competing in the marketplace, if you didn't get the share or the users that you hoped for last quarter and you're all pretty disappointed and heartbroken, feel it. Mm -hmm. Take some time, stop, everybody feel it and then go, okay, we moved that through our bodies. Now what? How are we going to game on? How are we going to see if we can change this pattern for the next quarter? Yep. So that's the that's the practice that I'm spending a significant amount of time with people on. And I feel like heartbreak is getting more and more common as um, as we are moving into this VUCA world. I don't know if you've heard that terminology, no. right? No. Volatile, unpredictable, mm. complex, and ambiguous. Mm. It's a different world now. A plus B doesn't equal C. Everything can change on a dime and nothing's as predictable. And so there's a lot more heartbreak in the VUCA world. Yeah. Is, yeah. And it's not, it's not as safe. Yeah. Yeah. That volatile. What is the, and I guess part of this is the withholding and the burnout, but what I, I can imagine that for some leaders or many leaders, probably it's like, well, hang on. If I go and bring heartbreak to my team how are they going to look at me? I'm supposed to be the, I'm supposed to be the strong cheerleading, you know, a, holding accountability, holding the line leader in order to get people to produce. How, if I come to them with sadness and heartbreak, am I going to lose respect? Are they still going to see me as a strong leader? Yeah. <clears throat> and it's a great question. Cause it's the one I, you know, that's the one big fear they all have. And I say, well, it's a yes and, as I mentioned earlier, so you can reveal all that and speak to your vision and your, you know, your confidence in moving toward a new vision, et cetera. And I say, you're going to have to try it out, see what happens. And it's, it's like a hundred percent of the time. I can't even think of one time where the leader didn't come back and say, I can't believe how well that went over. 
Like I got, I got emails from people saying how much they respected me. I got people saying they were, you know, hope to be more like that might themselves. Like, so I, you know, that's pretty common that that's that kind of level of people taking the extra effort, even to say, thank you, because it's so longed for in the corporate cultures. It's so longed for because when someone, when you allow someone to, well, allow yourself to show up in that way and they can see you as human, then they, there's a piece of them that you, you're giving permission for them to show up right. as human, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you're speaking on top of feelings that you're not revealing, then they, what happens for the team is that you're just like, hey, let's go, everybody. Everything's going to be great. Every, there's a sense of like something's off. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. They can't point to it, but they just go, I don't trust fully. And so it, car- it starts to create some kind of a concern about, wait, are we all, is this, is this the right thing? Are we, is there something missing here? And so when people feel the authenticity under that optimism, then they go, oh, okay, I can trust this. This is real. This is congruent. This is um, transparent and vulnerable in a way that I can trust. And that's the importance of that container and everyone in agreement that that's their, how they're going to show up because you can't show, it, it can't be the leader that says, so I'm going to leave this, I'm opening this space for you all to express your feelings and be, be vulnerable. So go ahead. Cause I know you all have feelings, but I'm not doing it. Right. Um, right. <laughs> the culture, we say the culture is a, is a reflection of the consciousness of the leader. Mm-hmm. So if the leader's unwilling to be vulnerable and express, then their culture will be unwilling. So um, it doesn't, people follow the, 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 those who have the biggest decision rights or the most decision rights, the culture will follow their role modeling. Mm-hmm. And even just the culture, whether, I mean, that, that happens within the huge organizational culture, even just being led by some people who like the difference between for me being led by someone who reveals and feels and is transparent with boundaries, right? We're not turning meetings into therapy sessions. We're just, we're just allowing, we're just releasing the withholding so that we aren't holding, they're not impacting our work and causing drama versus everyone knows what that feeling when you're in a meeting with someone and you can see where they're physically feeling it. You can see it on their face or you can see them check out or you can hear them talking under their breath or you just feel the energy that something wasn't off and then you leave. And I don't know, I feel like crap when I leave a meeting like that. And like you just said, I might not be able to pinpoint what it is, but then the stories go, Mm -hmm. did I not show up? Am I not doing a good job? Did I, are they pissed off at me or whatever it might be? And then, right, like that goes nowhere good and absolutely impacts productivity, engagement, um, burnout, right? If if I stay there for too long, I'm not going to feel engaged in the work of where I am, right? In the team. Yes. Yeah. 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 And people are longing to be true to themselves, I think. Mm-hmm. So I, think I want, so they're true. looking for cultures in which they can be showing up authentically and, uh, and yeah, they want well-being to be one of their number one priorities now. And one of the most important ways to have well-being is to make sure you're congruent. And, uh, and so withholding is not a way to create congruency. It is. No, no. no. And, you know, again, 
the book. I, I mean, I can't recommend the book enough. It's always right here. It's got lots of rabbit ears on it because um, it's not something that you just read once and done. It's just such a workbook and your group has, there's amazing resources on the website with videos and meditations and, and worksheets that are so um, generously offered to be able to do the practice. I think that, again, the piece that is difficult, can be difficult. I know that I get stuck in it is this idea that all of this is happening through me. This isn't about me making sure other people are being conscious. It's about me making sure that I am showing up in a conscious way that I'm true to my agreements that I, if I'm not, that I'm the first that I come to you first to clear it, to say, Diana, I know we made the agreement that I would text you if I was going to be late and I didn't today. And I'm sorry about that, but I value our time together. Um, if I can do that before you have to come and tell me, you know, that's even better, but that things aren't happening to me, um, that I'm not a victim to, to the mayhem or the drama. And we can, that's where we get. So I know I get so stuck. Why are they doing this to me? Why are they making these decisions for, or about me? Why won't they just let me. Um, yeah, that's been a power, really powerful piece of it. It's, it's foundational to the work, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you, Diana, define what, what is resilience to you? Resilience. Well, for me, resilience is I lose, um, my ability to be present in the moment i get i i contract in some way and i um i get at the effect of conditions around me and i can upset myself with that and so resilience is the recognition that i am the creator of my well-being mm. and that i have tools i can use to bring myself back to a state of presence, back to a state of full engagement, and that it's mine to do, and that um, and that when I'm resilient, I come back to learning. I think is really what resilience is about. Is I'm back. I'm coming back to learning. I just want to learn. What do I get to learn in this set of conditions that I might not learn any other way? How is this? how is this an ally for my growth? So that's where, that's how I see resilience. Even if it's heartbreak and those really difficult things. Yeah, exactly. Like, let me open and be with it and allow it to flow through and then say, now, what do I get to learn? Mm -hmm. Now, how does that guide me to move forward? Mm -hmm. So, so powerful not always easy, but that's also why you need a container of people to do this with you. I think, I mean, not that we couldn't do it on our own, but well, it's not easy. Is it? Because if it were, we'd all be doing right. it. I mean, right. You know, when I look around 95% of the world spends 95% of their time in some pretty significant drama of some, you know, one, even if it's drama in my own head with, Oh, I should weigh less or I should make more money or should, 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 you know, we're all shooting on each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't, you should, right? I shouldn't, you, I should. And so all of that just creates so much tension and stress. And so, you know, it's just so wonderful to be able to go, okay, hold on. Mm-hmm. Let's pause and let's come back here to learning. Mm-hmm. To learning. What is this here to teach me? Yeah. And, 
Um, and to come back to in the moment, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, if there's no future and no past, if there's just this moment, just for this, just for now, how am I? You know, I'm okay. I'm a woman sitting in chair right now. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That video camera What the video camera woman <laughs> sitting in chair right now. That's yeah. Right. Thank you so much. Diana, where do people find you? Where do they find your work? So I'm the co-founder of the Conscious Leadership Group. You can find us on the web at conscious.is, conscious.is. And we have a resource page there with so much good content. Um, so much. So highly recommend checking that out. Also, we have lots of different kinds of events you can um take advantage of and then certainly can read all about our work in our newest or our our recent book now the 15 commitments of conscious leadership and really excited we're going to be starting a new book in the next couple of weeks so out in a year all around how to really end drama as a team we're going to get much more specific about what that looks like that's exciting. Well, I appreciate how you show up in the world and um, that you and your team are sharing this with others. And um, it certainly has had a tremendously positive and meaningful, not just positive, but really meaningful and transformative impact on my team, but also just how I show up in the world. So it's been quite a treat to have you as a guest and have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much. I was so grateful that somebody passed this on to me, primarily the folks at the Hendricks Institute, Gay and Kathleen Hendricks. And I once I got passed on to me, I just thought, how do I pass this on to as many people as possible? And I'm particularly excited when I meet people like you who continue to keep passing it on and ripple this all out. So thank you so much for your work. And, um, and thanks for role modeling this so beautifully. Thank you. We'll take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Being with Diana and Jim and their team is incredible. And as I reflect on this um, and think about my own withholdings and where I am and kind of what we can practice, I just want to, I'm kind of pulling from actually the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership book that to sum up, you know, we, we withhold from one another. Sometimes we withhold because we don't trust. Um, and we, we want to manipulate an outcome and other times, um, we can tell ourselves it's for good reason. We don't want to hurt other people's feelings. We don't want to bring conflict in. And yet whenever we're withholding, I mean, you think about when you are thinking or feeling something and you really want to be able to tell someone else someone you're in relationship with, that truth, that message, Um, but you can't, that we, as Diana mentioned, we feel that in our bodies. And so being able to be candid and reveal um, and keeping it simple, not overthinking it, not needing to explain ourselves or make excuses for why we need to do this, but to say, I'm having a thought, whatever that thought is, I feel this way about it. I'm noticing this here within myself. And I wanted to share that with you so that to give you the opportunity to know me and just kind of know where I'm at with it. 
it's not about blame. It's not about me demanding you show up differently. It's just about me letting you know what story I have going on about it that is impacting the way I show up, whether I realize it or not. And when we really want to be committed to positive, um, nurturing, loving relationships um, at work or in our personal lives, then we do that for each other. And it takes practice because we don't want to be hurt and we don't want to be rejected. And yet, as Diana mentioned, so much of the time when we do it, our relationships are strengthened and we're able to reconnect back to our authenticity, which then brings us to life um, and helps us to be present and build our own resilience. So I hope that you have an opportunity to, um, well, grab the book, but also just think about where you may be withholding. Are there things you're withholding that are, that you can feel for me? It's in, it's actually in my, in my gut more than it's in my, um, chest, but where do you feel it? And is there something you could be, you could reveal to someone in your life or provide or just be provide a space for your team to authentically show up with feelings um, and go first. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll tune in again to our next episode. If you like the podcast, we really appreciate um, if you give us a rating and uh, we love to hear your reviews and feedback. Thanks for listening to Pathways to Resilience, an initiative of Community Solutions. For more information, please visit our website, www.communitysolutions.org.